Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. On Thursday, January 26th, we're at the Nerd Melt Theater in Los Angeles. We have Bobcat Goldthwaite and Andy Berman. But that same night, we're also in New York. We have Judy Gold and Julie Klausner at the pit. And then on Friday, January 27th, we're in San Francisco with Ben Grant, Carrie Kenny, and Natasha Legero. The next night, the 28th, we have Steve Agee, Mike Kaplan, and Rick Overton there in San Fran. Also, the next nine-week storytelling workshop that I teach here in New York starts on January 15th, and the next two-day workshop is January 21st and 22nd. I also do private coaching or online coaching over Skype. Just go to thestorystudio.org to learn more. And finally, 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 folks, if you like hearing real people telling true stories piped right into your eardrums, you're going to love hearing the much wider variety that they have at audiblepodcast.com slash risk. Now, I've mentioned there's lots of folks who have done this podcast who are there, but there's also lots and lots of people who, for one reason or another, we've never been able to get on the show. People like Spalding Gray, Mike Berbiglia, Julia Sweeney, Tom Bodette, Meryl Marco, Dan Savage, Gene Shepard, Fran Lebowitz, Kevin Kling, Lily Tomlin, and David Sedaris. Now, our deal with them is that you can get a free audiobook and a free two-week trial if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash risk. That's the link you have to go to, audiblepodcast.com slash risk. It's a treat. I'm telling you, I got a ton of stuff from them myself. So now you go get some. And now here's the show. 
kids, this is Extra Risk, where we give you just a little bit more of the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Botany behind me now. Well, if you're new to the show, we have two types of episodes. There's our regular episodes that feature four or five stories. Some are recorded at our live shows. Some are cut together radio style. And then there's these episodes that we call Extra Risk, where we feature just one story or a conversation with a storyteller. And today we have the genuinely lovely Lisa Lampanelli on the show. Now, Lisa calls herself an insult comic. Uh, She's known as the queen of mean. In person, she could not be cooler. The two of us sat down and we talked about a story she told at a Risk Live show in New York last year. And the unedited version of that story is featured on our second All-Star episode. That's available for $2.99 in our shop at risk-show.com or in the album section at iTunes. But today, we're going to cut back and forth between pieces of that story and myself and Lisa discussing it. So without further ado, here's Lisa Lampanelli with a story we call The Seven Toe Minimum. the comedy clubs in New York City. I would work this particular club and I would always notice there was this old, old model Cadillac that would circle the building every time I was there, real slow with one guy inside. So I called the owner, I said, hey Al, what's the deal? Who's that guy driving by the club? And he points to a headshot of a pretty good looking Italian guy on the wall holding a pencil. And he said, that's Big Frank. I said, all right, a pencil, that's hot. He can write. That's an upgrade for Lisa Lampanelli. (laughs) So one night, the car finally stops, and out walks this guy, and I realize why they call him Big Frank. I am not lying to you. He was 400 pounds. Think about it, folks. That is 17 Sarah Jessica Parkers. And I glance back at the headshot and I'm like, holy shit, that ain't a pencil, that's a pool cue. (laughs) Guy is fucking fat. But you know what? (laughs) Let's be honest, there's sloppy fat and there's sexy fat. And Big Frank was that fuckable fat, you know? Because first of all, he always gave off that vibe like he was in the mob. Like he always just looked mobbed up. And I always felt that was very sexy. Like if I got out of line, he might crack my head. And I get out of line sometimes, so that was pretty fucking cool. So he asked me out, and of course I have to say yes, because be honest, he had been driving around the building. And ladies, nothing says love like stalking. And I think we all know that's true, Kevin Allison. (laughs) Nothing says love like stalking. (laughs) Uh, Let me ask you, how recently did you first tell this story? No, this was only the second time I told that story. Oh, really? I'm developing a one-person show uh, for Broadway for fall of 2012. And we started with this story because I didn't know. I knew my my show was going to have to do with fat, 
weight loss, you know, body image, self image, and, you know, insecurities. And we're like, where do we start? And we had this great story about this big fat guy who made me feel small. And we go, you know what, let's just start with that story. And I had done it once at a reading of my own show in a little 10 minute block. And then I did it on risk. And that was it so far. Had you incorporated a lot of true storytelling into your act before over the years? Over the last year, I have just because I was so bored ranting and raving about stuff that didn't mean anything to me anymore. You know, I'm an insult comic, so I would always play with the crowd, and I still have fun with that. But about a year ago, I was like, I'm so freaking bored of just being that thing I developed and wanted to be over the last 20 years. So I just started saying real stuff on stage about stuff that happens to me. And of course, it's all like uh, embellished and, you know, get very elaborate, and I take it to an extreme. It's not always absolutely true. But I, I, now more than ever, I do more of that in my stand-up. Yeah, you know what? One thing I noticed is that a real pro of a stand-up can really embellish things in a story right. and get away with it much more easily than just your regular run-of-the-mill storyteller. Right, right. I think because we are so insecure and we want punchlines so bad and we want to be laughed at so bad that we're like, oh my God, I got to embellish this to make it even better. You know, like I have this story I tell now about me and being in a feud with Mrs. Dog the Bounty Hunter because um, I get on these Twitter feuds and that whore thinks she's actually a celebrity, which cracks me up. Uh-huh. And she got mad at a joke I told and, you know, yeah, I, I definitely tell the truth, but trust me, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of embellishment about us going at it and this and that. So he shows up on our first date. He shows up looking all hot and whoppy, and he's all sexy. And he was fat, and I was fat, and it didn't freaking matter, you know? So I looked at him, and he was wearing a leather vest, and I'm like being nice. I go, ooh, I love your leather vest. And he goes, yeah, there are no cows left in Pennsylvania. And you know what that says to me? I go, oh, he can take a joke. Ends up, his skin was as thick as his neck. This guy could laugh at himself. It was the best. And he always made me laugh. You know what else was cool? Frank always made me feel safe. Ends up, he wasn't really mobbed up. He just kind of thought he was. And one day, he leans over the table and he goes, you know what? If he ever needs something, don't worry about it. I'm connected. I'm like, yeah, you're connected to a fork, you fat fuck. (laughs) And he laughed again. And he's like, no, literally. If you even need, I know a couple of guys. I'm like, yeah, Ben and Jerry, you piece of shit. (laughs) And he laughs again. So this is the kind of guy I need. Somebody who could laugh at themselves. Also, let's be real. I ain't a fucking small person. I loved taking pictures with Frank. Because next to him, I swear to God, I was a waif. I was Kate Moss. I was home close, a tiny dancer. (laughs) That was like... That was like a total ad lib. That cracks me up, the word tiny dancer. So it's really funny too, because my writer had said, and you know, it's so funny because he's, I'm writing this basically myself, but he's, Alan Zweibel is really shaping the story. Oh, uh uh-huh. Yeah, he's amazing. Because I don't know about story arcs. I don't know about this crazy stuff. I don't know that you can't repeat the same type of story and make the same point over and over, but he knows uh how to weed it out. uh But um, he said, when you go up there, just 
you have to be scripted, yeah, but you just got to leave room to be yourself a little bit. Oh, absolutely. So he said, go up there with some bullet points and just don't stress over, oh my God, everywhere it has to be perfect. So those little gems come out and then you go, I'm going to put it in again. Oh yeah. And and the energy of the audience will bring that stuff out of you. Oh my God, totally. You'll even remember like key things that about the events you're talking about, like right there in front of an audience and say, holy shit, I just remembered this. Yeah, that's huge. That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so much fun. In preparing a Broadway show like this, do you fear like getting tired of the stories themselves because of having to do it so much? You know what? I wasn't scared of that until about a week ago when it dawns on me. And I'm like, wait a minute. Friggin' Broadway's eight shows a week and the fucking same stories. And I'm just hoping they're emotionally driven enough that I could get a kick out of them and do them. And I'm like, oh my God. Because I'd been saying, oh, I want this to run for a year. I want it to be forever. I want to be in New York on Broadway. Maybe this six months is maybe the top of the list now. Maybe that's my limit. I don't know. Yeah, but it yeah, is yeah. scary. Well, I think one of the things is is that it is that truth in the story that helps to keep it fresh. Because if you can go back and kind of relive some of the emotional stuff every time you tell it, like be a little bit present to what you're actually, you know, sense mm. memory talking about. Right, it, right. It can like have new energy each time, I think. I hope so. Because yeah. I found when I'm doing readings, it, that does happen. And it's weird because I end up tearing up in the same places, which I'm really surprised at because I figured, oh, you know, the first time I tell it, yeah, it's going to be like that. But I've been finding that it does still have that impact, which is wild. Well, I saw a uh, chunk of it, a, a, a mm-hmm. little bit of it that mm-hmm. you were workshopping. And it really amazed me the way that you could go from huge laughs to like tearful moments and we were right there with you doing you know laughing and, and crying and like, i don't even know a, what what is that what's what does that get attributed to because i'm thinking my poor husband has to live with that every day you know and i'm horrible i'm a mood swingy bitch one minute i'll be like me 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 and the other minute, you motherfucker so it's really it but it's in me and i'm like you know what maybe it'll serve a purpose on this stage And let's be real, man. The best thing about Frank at 400 pounds, he was that one boyfriend who would never call me fat. Starts to dawn on me. All my life I had two obsessions, food and men. Frank was one-stop shopping. He was a guy, but he had clearly a thing about food. He's that combo platter of delights. He's like that general store out in the woods that carries ice cream and bait. The combination's kind of disgusting, but it felt right at the moment. So we're dating, we eventually move in together, and seriously, life is good. We had so much fun. I had everything I needed under one roof, a guy who made me laugh, a guy who loved me, and I started feeling better about myself. I started feeling like I could take little chances, my career started taking off, I started playing places that didn't have the name Chuckle or Hut in the name of the place. (laughs) And even on a bad day, Frank made me feel better. I'd come home and I'd go, Frank, Lucian won't let me say cunt on stage. And he'd go, don't worry, you want a dinner? I'm like, yeah. And he would make everything my Italian mother would make. He would make the meatballs and the pasta and the sausage. And you feel better, honey? And I'd be like, no, I don't, not yet, Frank. And he'd go, I'll tell you a story. Now listen to this. 
Frank might not have been the best comic in the world, but he was the best storyteller on the planet. He would tell me this one story when he had to once hook up a mob guy with a birthday entertainment party for his kid. The mob guy comes into Frank and he says, hey Frank, I want entertainment for the six-year-old's party. And Frank goes, you want a comic? The guy goes, that's bullshit. He goes, what about a magician? He goes, fuck that, Frank. And he goes, how about a unicycle? The guy goes, sounds good, book it. <laughs> the day of the party. <laughs> Frank's sitting there with all the mob guys smoking their cigars, like little kids are running around. The guy dressed as the clown wheels out on the unicycle. He's juggling them, he's happy, oh, everybody's thrilled, except the mob guy leans over to Frank, and he goes, hey, Frank, where's the unicycle? Frank goes, that's a unicycle. Guy goes, you trying to fuck me? And he goes, no, you asked for a unicycle, that's a unicycle. He goes, that half a broken bicycle's a unicycle? And Frank goes, yeah, yeah, it is. And he goes, that ain't a unicycle. A unicycle is that horse with the horn. <laughs> Frank goes, that ain't a unicycle. That's a unicorn. And the guy, Frank goes, that unicorn don't exist. He goes, well, it better fucking exist or I'm killing that goddamn clown right now. <laughs> You know, I don't know how even Frank ended the story. Every time he told it, it was a different ending, but I didn't give a shit. It always made me laugh, and it always got me in a good mood. Now here, what I love about this is that this is a story within a story, oh. which, which is really cool the way you, you fit that in, because I always love like when there's an extra little story in a story. And, and this actually is a story that Frank would tell me over and over, and it's literally one of those stories... Like, we all have that with somebody, our parents or whatever. Go, oh, tell me that one again. Yeah. Tell me, because it's just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's just something that's really special about using the story as an illustration of the connection that the two of you have. Right, right, yeah. right. And also with the unicorn story, it's so funny because, like, that's, that story is so awesome. And I just told it to my writers, like, randomly one day. I said, oh, this is how funny Frank was. And they're like, that has to go in. I'm like, absolutely, because that's just how we tell it with that fucking mobbed-up attitude. Mm -hmm. But here's the problem. There's no fucking great ending to the story. <laughs> the ending is the story is. What happens was, the guy goes, the mob guy, I'm going to kill that clown. Then what happens is, the clown runs, Frank pays the guy 400 he the the clown runs out to his van, but he doesn't have time to take off his clown makeup. Right at that moment, a movie lets out, Toy Story lets out, and all these little kids, as the guy's trying to hide, is going, oh, mommy, there's a clown, a clown, and the mob guys are looking for the clown, and the kids rat him out. And there's no real funny big ending to the story. So Frank had his self-published book out. So I found it online. Holy like, shit. For like $10. And I, I order the book going, maybe the ending of the story's in the book. Let's see. It was an even fucking worse ending. I was like, I can't suck a dick for a good ending to this story. <laughs> so we're living together. Frank's fine. We decide one day, oh, we got to get insurance. We go to the doctor for a physical. And I hadn't seen Frank with his socks off in a long time. And he takes off his sock. And one of his toes is really fucked up. Like, not normal fucked up like all your guys' feet are, because it's freaking disgusting. I don't know what you think you're trying to pull with those toes, and those balls are even worse. <laughs> but he takes off one sock, and his toe is, like, gangrenous and screwed up, right? 
Doctor says, look, man, you have advanced diabetes. That toe's coming off. I know, right? <laughs> and he goes, and you got to cut out everything that's bad for you. This has got to change. We get in the car. It's completely silent. We're both really tense. And I go, listen, Frank, we got to do this together. Let's do this. Come on, man. We could do it. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm giving up cake, cookies, pasta, no more of those goddamn Sunday dinners. I'm not having it. Let's do it, man. We got to do this. And he looks at me and goes, you know what? I decided to, I'm going to give up some stuff. And I'm like, what? And he goes, soda. <laughs> and I'm like, soda. He goes, yeah, it's got a lot of sugar in it. I go, so's all that other shit got sugar in it, Frank. And he goes, I don't care. That's what I'm giving up. I go, look, Frank, I am a woman who has very high self-esteem, high goals. I have a seven-toe minimum. <laughs> Another one of these goes, you're out. Let's do it, man. I can't do this by myself. But you know what? No matter how much he tried, Frank couldn't do it. He couldn't change. I'd come home, there'd be half empty eating pizzas. There'd be like the empty boxes from cakes. Half the dog was gone. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to tell you that part. Frank had a dog named Christina. By the way, how much of a fucking wop move is that to have a dog named Christina? <laughs> and I would wonder, we went through so many drive-throughs for hamburgers and shit. Every time we'd go to a toll booth, the dog would attack the toll collector because it wouldn't toss a hamburger into the back. <laughs> That's fat, okay. But the food wasn't the only thing that bothered me. You know, Frank didn't really have any goals. You know, okay, he was content. He was satisfied. He had lived with his parents till he was 41. I get it, that's Italian. Jesus did it till he was 30. <laughs> was he Italian or a fucking Jew? I don't know. But to me, it sounded cute to say it, so it's in. No. <laughs> So there's a difference. In this business, there's road comics and there are city comics when I was growing up. Road comics are always those guys I looked at as having no hope. Like the guys who would do the road, little clubs in Bangor, Maine or Cleveland or wherever. And it's kind of sad because they earned their money, they'd go home and they didn't really want to do anything more. But I had like these bigger dreams. I wanted to get on TV, you know? And I thought I was gonna do good, you know? I said, oh, maybe I could even be in my own show one day. That'd be awesome. But Frank didn't want it. Frank just didn't want to change. He just wanted to be who he was. One day I'm flying home, right? I was actually doing a gig where they paid for the flight. So I hear the stewardess come on and she says, if you're flying with someone who's dependent on you, put the mask on yourself first and then put it on them. I couldn't help Frank. He didn't want to help himself, and I couldn't do it for him. When the plane landed, I'd never unpack my bags. I moved out. Thank you. You know what's funny? We're going, oh my God, he looks just like my fucking husband, Jimmy. They could be twins. Oh my God. My family called him Frank forever because they're like, 
they'd see Jimmy and they'd go, oh, Frank, have some pasta or whatever. And he's like, oh, my name's Jimmy. I'm going to put both their pictures up. You will die. But there's one big difference. Jimmy has 10 toes. So yeah. that's really, that's a plus. I was like, well, I have to marry him. He has 10 toes. Uh, and that's the difference between Jimmy and Frank. It's so funny. how Frank was definitely the best guy I ever dated up till Jimmy. But it was like, he just, God bless him. He just didn't have it in him. To, to work on it. Yeah. And no matter how much me and Jimmy still struggle with it, it's like, at least we're working. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I love about like the, what the feel that I get out of the story is that it's okay to have addictions and to fall down a lot because of them. Mm-hmm. But what makes all the difference is that you keep getting up and push totally, forward. Totally. Yeah. Cause it's funny at the end of my show, it, as I said, it is not, Oh, look at me. I'm healed. I got this great guy. Absolutely. And I'm just like, now I've got it all. It's like, you know what? This food thing is going to be with me forever. I don't get how Oprah could be the most powerful woman in the world and still not have a handle on it. I feel the same way. Sure, sure. And there's so many people who struggle with it that I think it's got to be pointed out and it's got to be made funny and relatable and touching. You, you, did you feel that you could tell this story more easily because Frank had passed away? No, because I have a lot of stories in it about you know my husband now. Oh, I have wow. stories about all the girls in food rehab. I have uh, my story about my parents. My parents are the only ones I worry about because yeah. I go, I don't want them to get pissed off. You know, my mom had a real temper, you know, like I do. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't want to make her seem like a bad guy because she wasn't. In the scheme of like abusive parents, she was only a five out of like a 10. Right. So I'm like, you know what? She never hit us. She wasn't that horrible. But I think it's important still to put a little kernel of truth in there. So they're the only ones I worry about. I'm like, wait till they die. This show is going to be even more dynamic. (laughs) Right, right, right. I I literally told my mother the other day, I was like, comedians are always saying, am I going to have to wait till you guys die? I'm telling you. My mother, that's the thing. She's so freaking funny that I get it from her totally. Like she'll say the most crazy outrageous stuff. Like, you know, she goes around calling those Brazil nuts nigger toes and she doesn't care. And she went up to a black friend of mine and she's like, Chuck, is it okay if I call Brazil nuts nigger toes? Cause my kids don't like, and he said, absolutely. That's what they're called. So now it's nigger toe. Your friend said it was okay. I'm going to do it. <laughs> So my mother's like nutty that way. So I'm like, well, I get it from her. So she'll hopefully take all this with a grain of salt. Absolutely. Cool. So go see my show. Indeed. Bring back the fat chick. That's what it's probably called in the fall. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, buddy. Just a shadow in the sun Tell me everything you're hiding from Cause your fear is all that's keeping you from love You are That is that. It was great to have Lisa back on the show. She's just really a wonderful person. And uh, I hope to have her back on very soon. Uh, Now be sure to download Risk again next week. We'll have another full-length episode with multiple stories. 
This is Set Sail behind me now with a song called Home. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Risk Show. You can comment on the podcast on our iTunes page because those comments help to raise our profile in that world. Uh, For information on our storytelling training, including corporate workshops, visit thestorystudio.org. And for more about our show, just go to risk-show.com. In our shop, you can find T-shirts. You'll find those two all-star episodes. We have archives of our nearly 70 episodes so far. Our blog is there, and information on how to pitch us stories. And if you scroll down the front page, you'll see a little cartoon of a gas station attendant filling the tank where it says, Keep Risk Running. That's where you can donate. Help us keep on keeping on. And with that, there's just one more thing I have to tell you. Folks, (laughs) today's the day. Take a risk. It's always a gay guy who gasps when the toe has to come off. It's always a gay guy who goes, <gasps> and I'm like, I know, right? Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness! Here's the high-stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. He ties the game at the buzzer. And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC.